Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Well, it's good to hear stories like that and um, as Pastor Brent has said, we hope that you would share your stories with us so that we can celebrate together as a church family the things that God is doing. For the reason that our lives really are marked by these moments of significance. All throughout our life, we have moments that influence us and that change us. These moments often become valuable and life-changing because they speak to us in a meaningful way or they call us to new thoughts or patterns and change within our life. One such moment in my life happened in the spring of 2007. I had just graduated from Ambrose and I was going to do an internship in South America for four months. I was going to be serving with a missionary couple by the names of Rich and Elisa Brown and they serve with a ministry called Inkalink. So I boarded my plane and headed down to South America And after a very long day of travel, which would have been my first time kind of traveling on my own, so a little bit anxious and wondering and making sure I made connections and luggage and all that kind of stuff, I arrived safely at the airport in Ecuador. I got my luggage, I got through my security, I got to the other side and there was Rich and Elisa Brown who were waiting for me, as well as other interns who were part of this program. They all welcomed me right away, and we were hugging, and they were welcoming, everything was great, and then all of a sudden, Rich says to me, isn't that your bag? And that was my bag in someone else's hands making its way out of the airport. (laughs) I was like, that is my bag, and so I gave him my other bags, I said, take these, I'm going, and I started chasing after this person who had my luggage. Now, you need to understand that I had, again, never been in South America. It had been a long day of travel. It was late at night. It was dark out. This person exited out of the airport and kind of turned down this alleyway, and I just continued in pursuit. All I had on my mind is, that's my bag. And so I continued to pursue after the perpetrator, and I caught up, and he kind of let up, and all of a sudden I was like, what are you doing? That's my bag. And he turns around and he puts his hand out and he says, hi, I'm Keith, welcome to Inkalink. (laughs) He was one of the other interns and this was all the master plan to welcome me by Rich, Elisa and the other interns. (laughs) Welcome to South America. Wow, did I learn in that moment. (laughs) Never take your eyes off your luggage. (laughs) Always hold on (laughs) to your bags. I'm very diligent about that in the airport now. (laughs) The Bible has memorable moments as well. Moments that illustrate the character and the call of Jesus specifically. Throughout the Bible, we read of these stories and these moments, things such as Jesus turning the water to wine, Jesus sitting with the woman at the well, Jesus when he brought Lazarus back to life, turning the temple tables And many more. But one of these events that we learn more about Jesus and his kingdom that he came to establish than any other, I believe, 
is one that's found in the book of John chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there this morning. John chapter 13, in my mind, is one of the most memorable moments that captures the heart and mission of Jesus. And I believe it's a good place for us to continue this series that we're in called Follow Jesus, in which we're learning about our rabbi and how we live in light of that. Our text takes us to this moment in the upper room. It's a week before the death of Jesus, and it's the moment in which he washes the feet of the disciples. Now, there are rich lessons to be learned here, I believe, about our rabbi and how he calls us to live through the act of washing the disciples' feet. This morning, I want us to see how our rabbi is building his kingdom and how he does that by leading with humility and love. And so if you have your Bibles, you can read along. If not, the text will be on the screen as well. We're going to read from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put, their he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So what's this all about? Is Jesus our rabbi telling us to love people by literally washing their feet? Verse 14, after all, says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. No, Jesus is not saying to stop and wash everyone's feet we meet in a literal sense. But he is giving us an example as how we are to live as his ambassadors. Before we get to that, though, we must first understand the foreshadowing that is taking place within this text. Foot washing itself was not uncommon in this day. 
In fact, it was the common practice for Jesus, the disciples, and everyone of that time. People of this day would have worn sandals regularly and they would have been walking everywhere, walking along unpaved dirt roads that were populated by people and animals. And so you can imagine what they would have been walking through and the dirt that would have built up. Because of this, when you entered a home, it was proper hospitality to offer your guests a basin of water to wash their feet. However, foot washing was most commonly reserved for the lowest ranking Gentile servant in the house. Washing the dirt off of someone else's feet was the lowliest of tasks reserved for the lowliest of servants. So why is Jesus then the one who gets up from the table to wash the feet of the disciples. Think about what's taking place for the disciples. The creator of the universe, their Lord, their Savior, their Rabbi, has humbled himself before them, has taken off his outer garment, got down to his knees in order to wash their feet to wash their dirty, soiled, calloused, sweaty feet. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who had raised the dead to life, given sight to the blind, walked on water, who had calmed storms, healed a paralyzed man, fed tens of thousands, willingly gets down on his knees, taking the place of the lowliest of slaves, to wash the feet of his disciples. This would have been astounding and likely a little bit unsettling for the disciples. Craig Keener reminds us of this when he, in this quote. He says, Jesus knows fully who he is, the authority he has and the power he wields. He knows he is from the Father and returning to the Father, and yet rather than wield his power and demand to be served, Jesus stoops to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus was the sovereign, yet he took the place of the servant. Jesus is aware in this moment that his death is coming, and that in many ways, this is a farewell. And he prepares to celebrate with his disciples as they gather for the Passover meal. Passover, for those that don't know, would be a religious celebration that celebrated and remembered God's deliverance of the Israelite nation from slavery under Pharaoh. It's a story in the Old Testament many of us are familiar with. When Moses uh, frees the slaves and the plagues rain down on Pharaoh. The first Passover was celebrated after the plagues, and at this time, God told Moses to have the Israelites sacrifice a lamb and to mark the doorframe of their homes with the blood of that lamb. And when the angel of death was to come by, he would pass over their homes because of the blood of the lamb. By engaging in this astonishing act of washing the disciples' feet, Jesus is foreshadowing that he would soon become the Passover lamb who would be given as payment for the sins of the world so that death could be overcome and so that we could have life eternally with him. 
Jesus washing the feet of the disciples points to the greater story of the cross and Jesus' display of a love for dirty, flawed sinners. This act of humility was pointing to the greater act of humility that was about to unfold. Jesus laying his life down for all. In this moment, he was washing feet, but the time was coming that through his death, we could be washed of our sin. Washing the disciples' feet was a precursor not only to the sacrifice Jesus would make on the cross by laying his life down, but it also spoke to who it is that he came to serve. Consider the layers that would have existed for Jesus as he was washing the feet of the disciples. Jesus, the Son of God, knowing that death is before him, humbles himself to wash their feet. But these aren't just any feet, are they? These are the feet of men who would very soon falter in their faith, struggle to pray through the night with Jesus in the garden, deny him three times, scatter at his death. And here we have Judas, the betrayer, Jesus knows what Judas is going to do from what the scripture tells us in verse two. And still Jesus washes the feet of all of these men. He shows the same love and humility toward each one. He loves them with the love of the Father. I think Craig Keener, a commentator, captures this really well when he says this. Jesus humbled himself and served fallible, flawed, selfish men and even his betrayer. This says far more about Jesus than it does about Judas or his disciples. It also says far more about the good news of the gospel than it does about Jesus' ability to clean feet. This is the most astonishing thing about the foot washing scene. Everything Jesus is doing in this scene anticipates Jesus' greater humiliation on the cross. Jesus stooped to cleanse the disciples physically and rose to take his seat. On the cross, Jesus stooped to secure spiritual cleansing and then he rose to take his throne. The washing of the disciples' feet was first intended to be a parable of Jesus' great humiliation and the cleansing he offers on the cross. When you see this big picture of what Jesus is doing and pointing to, For me personally, it's humbling, but it's also encouraging. Humbling that the Son of God was willing to humble himself in this moment, and that he would humble himself, as Philippians says, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But it's encouraging because we are the same disciples. I am the backstabber. I am the betrayer. I am the one who put Jesus on the cross. It is my sin that put Jesus there. How many times have I turned from God's grace to live, to act, to be, and to do what I want for my own selfishness? But Jesus served me 
by going to the cross. This is humbling because I too am sinful, and yet it's encouraging because of how much Jesus truly loves me. Jesus knows me. He knows my flaws, my secrets, my lies, my sin, and yet he chose to serve me. Jesus knew I would betray him and still he went to the cross willingly. The humbleness and love that is showed in this moment with the disciples then is what we are called to live out. Jesus is attempting to redefine and clarify how we are called to live as his disciples. John 13 is not simply a parable of the cross and our way into the kingdom of God, but it is also an example of how we are intended to bring forth the kingdom of God today. And so I want to give us two thoughts on that, and the first is this. The kingdom is established through humility. The life of a follower of Jesus is marked by humility. And in our passage, there's two outworkings of humility that should be evident in the life of the disciple. The first way can be summed up by a simple phrase, get low. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value, yourself, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In this, Jesus models for us a way of living that is defined by humility, not pride. We need to humble ourselves in the same manner Jesus did, not just in our thoughts and knowledge, but in our actions. Knowing that humility is important is one thing, but acting humbly is a whole nother manner. Humility is lived out and establishes the kingdom when we put others ahead of ourselves. To humble ourselves is to reflect selflessness towards the people we interact with on a daily basis. This includes people in our church, in our community, in our neighborhoods, friends, strangers, and yes, people that have hurt us and people that wrong us. In the current generation, the more reading that I do, I read about a lot of negativity towards the church because of what the church proclaims that they're against. Can you see how this would be a turnoff and how this would push people away? This is the perception. The church only is vocal for what they stand against. Too often, that's how we posture ourselves. We make ourselves the most seen and known in those types of moments. When all our energy is put into what we are against, we can't serve people, but rather we just cause conflict. What if we were to flip the script? What if we became more known for serving others instead of disagreeing with their actions? I want you to remember this. It's not about you, but it's about the person who is not yet part of the kingdom. Let that sing in a little bit. It's not about you. As we think about church and community 
and how we live out God's kingdom. It's not about you. It's about the person who is not yet part of the kingdom. This passage shows us that humbleness also comes in our willingness, though, to accept what Jesus has done for us. Many of us are prepared and ready to serve others. Often we don't have a a hard time actually serving or or serving in, in, in different capacities, but we do have a hard time being served. How many of us are truly prepared to be the least? If Christ were to ask us to wash the feet of many, we probably in many ways would be glad to do that. Yet if Christ were to insist on washing our feet, would you allow it? We are more willing to serve than be served by Jesus. True humility is not simply about serving others, though. It also requires a readiness to receive what Jesus has done for you. Think of how Peter responded to Jesus' invitation to wash his feet and the response that Jesus gives back. Peter rebuked Jesus quite sternly, saying, You shall never wash my feet, he says. Why do you think Peter responded in such a way? Think again about the dynamic that's at play. Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, our teacher, our rabbi, taking the lowliest of jobs. There's, in a lot of ways, something too intimate too vulnerable, too uncomfortable in the story when Jesus brings himself down to the role of a servant and washes the feet of his followers. To accept this humble gift would require a great amount of vulnerability on Peter's part. It would require a laying down of his pride if he was to accept what Jesus was doing. And in this sense, Peter wants to retain some of his own authority, some of his own control. But Jesus responds to the rebuke of Peter by saying, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus is letting Peter know that if he wants to experience all that he has for him, he must accept the sacrifice that he is about to make on the cross. Jesus is trying to communicate something spiritual here to Peter and to us. Jesus' self-humiliation on the cross, uh, uh, Jesus' self-humiliation on the cross is the means through which we can be cleansed from sin. We must humbly receive the free, unmerited gift of God's grace so that we can be saved and partner with him in establishing his kingdom. Peter's reaction, I believe, is very reflective of a common response that we would have to the extraordinary grace of Jesus in our lives. What do you mean, Jesus? Me? Ask for help? Me? Diminish myself? Me? Submit? To do that would require vulnerability. And we generally do not like to be people who are vulnerable. After all, 
The message that the world speaks is that often to be vulnerable is to be weak. Crying out that we need help is is hard for many of us because we don't want to admit that we can't do it on our own. We struggle to surrender and trust God to act on our behalf. We often see that as weakness, but really it gives strength. Jesus is the perfect example of this in that humility that Jesus had was not born out of poverty, but it was born out of riches. We are stronger in our surrender to God then than when we choose to fight on our own. We cannot climb to God on our own, but he has come to us. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet, it's a call to humbly receive what only Jesus can do for us. It's a call to be vulnerable about our weakness and our need for him. In this sense, humility reveals God's glory and his blessing. When we allow Jesus to wash our feet, it's an act of saying, I am dependent on God to act and to set things right, to bring healing and liberation in my life and this world. It is not something that I can accomplish on my own. Pride is our greatest adversary when it comes to receiving the humbleness of Jesus. Pride often gets in the way It's hard to open ourselves up, to bring out our bare feet, the warts and calluses and fungus and dirt for Jesus to see. The pride within us wants to convince us that we can get by without the cleansing from Jesus, that we can flourish on our own. But as ambassadors of Jesus, our pride must perish. We need to accept the humble act of Jesus that his washing of the disciples' feet points to, his death on the cross that would overcome the power of sin and death and give us peace, hope, and life. It is in this way that Jesus empowers us to serve others. Without receiving his care and love, we don't have love to share. When we humbly receive what Jesus has done for us, we can move in love. So that's the second piece of establishing God's kingdom. The kingdom is established in love, is what we see. Humbleness and servanthood are good. But as 1 Corinthians reminds us, if it's not done in love, I have nothing. Rooted in love, though, it brings us closer to the person of Jesus. When done in love, these moments are more honest and vulnerable, allowing us to better know the heart and the love of the Father. Jesus washing the disciples' feet is so much more than a symbolic act of his incredible servanthood. It's more than a way to get people to do tasks that they don't want to do. Oh, just do the lowliest of things. But it's a display of his intimate love for his children. If you've ever wondered, why feet? (laughs) Why washing? Why at this moment, just before he was arrested and crucified? Let me suggest that it is because Jesus knew that it would show his intimate love for each of his followers. 
Jesus lovingly washed the feet of his disciples. His friends, um, of, of his disciples and his friends. And he reminded them that his love has no bounds. Elena Kleinbach says, Jesus wanted to share a personal, vulnerable, loving moment with each of his dear friends. I wonder whether spending a moment with each person gave him comfort as he prepared to be arrested and crucified. I wonder whether his charge is less about servanthood and more about its basic foundation, limitless love. Jesus wasn't simply teaching his disciples a lesson by washing their feet, but he was washing their feet because he loved them. Again, Jesus knew who the disciples were. He knew their character. He knew their hearts. He knew that they would forsake him. They were going to deny him and run from him and not want any association with him. Yet even with this knowledge, Jesus did not cease to love them. As verse one says, having loved his own who were in this world, he loved them to the end. J.C. Ryle is quoted as saying, the love of Christ to sinners is the very essence and marrow of the gospel. That he should love us at all and care for our souls. That he should love us so much as to come into the world to save us, take our nature on him, bear our sins, and die for us on the cross. All this is wonderful indeed. It is a kind of love to which there is nothing like among men that he should bear with our countless infirmities, that he should never tire of our endless inconsistencies, that he should go on forgiving and forgetting incessantly and never be provoked to cast us off and give us up. All this is marvelous indeed. God loves you for who you are. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You are loved because you are a child of God. You can do nothing to earn God's love or lose God's love. His love for you is not based on performance or anything that you do or don't do. It's not based on the fact of it is, it is solely based on the fact that you are his child. God desperately wants you to know that you are his kid. That you matter so much to him. And God's word says that you are chosen, you are called, and you are his masterpiece. God is not in love with some future version of yourself. But he loves you right now the way you are. Think about that. Too often we think we gotta clean ourselves up or change who we are, but that's not who God is in love with. He's in love with who you are right now. No matter who you are or what you've done, when he looks at you, he says you are very good and he loves you. This is the kind of love that defined Jesus. This is the love we see when he washed the disciples' feet. And so for us today, foot washing might look like serving at a place of those in need. It might mean sitting on the pavement of a parking lot, 
counseling a student with suicidal thoughts. Might be giving a person a place to stay when it's not safe to go home. Giving someone a ride when they're not able to drive. Experiencing grief with someone who's just lost a loved one. Being with a loving friend and being that loving friend to a 16-year-old who just found out that she's pregnant. Attending milestone events for youth whose parents aren't present. Being a genuine friend to someone who's been excluded because of their gender identity. Allowing Jesus to change behavior instead of your judgment. Training youth and kids in healthy habits and skills. Have people who are different than you into your home. When we love as Jesus did, our actions will be proactive, responsive, costly, sacrificial, and life-changing. For this reason, we need to be willing to show kindness and goodness in small and big ways to, whom, to those whom God places in our life. Love for one another will move us to sacrifice and serve. It will lead us to lower ourselves and to exalt the other. Foot washing helps to break down walls, restore relationships, bring healing, build trust, and show love. And it is because of Jesus' humility and love for us that we can go and do the same. We have a high calling and responsibility to point people to the person of Jesus and his love for them. Jesus is calling you as his disciples to go into the world, even those uncomfortable and unfamiliar places and wash people's feet. The world will always find ground to argue against our doctrines, worldview. They may argue that we are judgmental, that we're exclusive, but that will hold no ground when we lay down our reputation, our power, our control, our resources, our comfort for the convenience of others. Each and every day, the world will look and be drawn in when we radically love others and humbly lay our lives down for them. And this is why Jesus led in the way that he did, so that we too, would wash the feet of a hurting and broken world so that they would come to know the Father. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.